Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we are going to speak very quickly all throughout this podcast episode because we have so much to talk about. We said we could have done a podcast every day. We could have done a podcast on each individual item that we're going to cover here today, but we're going to cram it all into one. We, of course, have plenty of draft talk from the College World Series to the expansion of our top draft prospects list from 200 to 250 to the draft combine. Things we can't even get into, the the 2024 draft. Sam Dykstra is on site at the PDP League where 2024 draft prospects are in action there. We can't even even get to that, but do want to mention it. We're going to talk to draft prospect Joe Jim, are we are we going to? You're going to. Yes, we, I have talked to him. We will we will play the tape. We're gonna roll the tape. We're old. <laughs> <laughs> Is there tape involved here? No. No, I guess it's not. I, it, it's it's figurative tape. My favorite kind. Jim did have a chance to talk to Kent State lefty Joe Whitman, so we're gonna talk to him a little bit later on. We will dig into market corrections, the updated top 100 prospects list, futures game rosters. That's it. Keep going. There's too much. There's too much to talk about. But we're still going to answer a question from the mailbag. Um, I, I'm going to go on a limb. I think our next three podcasts, starting with this one, are our three most jam-packed podcasts of the year. And I also think, not that we track this like with metrics, that we will be at our greatest levels of fatigue that we are all year while recording these podcasts. But we will soldier through because there's so much going on that we're excited about. Well, sometimes it, we're at our best when we're just a little a little tired, a little looser. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it all makes sense because, you know, we, we talk about this. We've talked about this for the past several years since the draft uh, was moved back to coincide with uh, the All-Star Game week. And it's just taking our biggest event, the draft, and putting it, it was on the same exact day as another one of our biggest events of the year, the Futures game. Um, now, there's at least the day separation, but uh, an extremely busy time. And, you know, we're coming right off the College World Series where there were a ton of draft prospects. Um, and we just ex- expanded the draft prospects list from 200 to 250, market corrections, updating the top 100. And then we're going to jump right into the midseason re-rank of all the lists. Crazy time. Crazy. When I become commissioner, which is is in the works, I know you guys know. But when I become commissioner, I'm going to move the Arizona Fall League uh, championship game 
and the Rule Five draft to July as well, just so we can. What we'll just we'll just get all our work done in July and take the rest of the year off. When you become commissioner, you you will thereby become my second favorite baseball commissioner ever. Behind, After Spike Eckert, behind Spike Eckert, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't. Gonna, I'll, I'll tell people now too. We're not going to go too far down the Spike Eckert path. Oh Jason, God, I can't no, you did Jason, that. you know you know how horror, deathly afraid I am of phone calls. So when I become commissioner. I'm going to hire you to be my right-hand man in charge of answering phone calls. You're not afraid to, of phone calls. People to, are afraid of getting on the phone with you because of so, past success. So you, 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 will be the, the, you will be my, uh, I can't remember which McPhail it was, to, to Spike Eckert. You will, you will be my McPhail. So. Your designated phone answer. Yes, to All protect right. me from phone calls where I can't answer questions I don't know the answers to. All right, let, let's, talk, let's talk some draft. Uh, where do we start? Where do you want to start? You want to start with the top 250? You want to start with College World Series? You want to start with the Combine? You... How, about, how, about, how about we we've, we've, we wavered? We almost made this move last time. Yeah. But we, 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 we switched up number one and two on the 250. I think, I think that should be our top topic. Top so topic. You should, be, you should be happy, Jason. Like, like you, were, <laughs> you, were, you were driving this train before even we were. Pounding Paul, the proverbial table. You, you, you did. You may have pounded a literal table for all we know. Um, yeah, that's true. But uh, but yes, we we've we've made the the move to put Paul Skeens of LSU at number one on our list ahead of Dylan Cruz of LSU, who's number two on our list. You you nearly did it uh, last time when we expanded from one fifty to two hundred, and I think you got you got a little bit of cold feet when you got a lot of feedback. That was right at the time that Jonathan uh, polled a bunch of scouts and front office execs, and. I don't know that I would say it was overwhelmingly in, in favor of no, Cruz. I thought wasn't it sixty five, seventy percent of the people voted for for Cruz though? Yeah. I mean I don't I don't know what the line is for, to be considered overwhelming, but it was it was pretty clear. Right. And that's why we switched. That we, we just thought it would be an odd look to switch the order at the top of the <clears> two hundred on the same day that we released a story that said, oh, two-thirds of major league teams think Dylan Cruz is the best prospect. Okay, so what's happened between now and then? Was it just just my table pounding? Yes. It was a passage of time. That's, no, that's exactly. I, I think I feel maybe more strongly about this, Jonathan, although I think we both are of accord that there's no wrong answer here. Like, there's no wrong answer. I, I just think, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, it's harder to find a Paul Skeens than it is a Dylan Cruz. Uh, you know, Paul Skeens, best pitching prospect in the draft. You, some say ever. Some say since Strasburg. You know, it's an 80 fastball. It's a 70 slider. He was throwing a plus changeup at the College World Series. Throws a ton of strikes. MVP of the College World Series. Broke the SEC strikeout record. Basically good. Every start to where, what did I give him? Striking out 12 and giving up two runs in seven innings, I determined was a C-plus start for Paul Skeens mm-hmm. on our last podcast. Um, I just think it's harder to find a Paul Skeens than it is a Dylan Cruz. I, 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 there is more risk, but I think you you can win world championships with, with Dylan Cruz also. But I just think Paul Skeens is the type of pitcher it's hard to find where that guy can, can get hot in October and carry you to World Series championships. So that's why I personally – think Paul Skeens is the best prospect in this draft. I love Dylan Cruz. I'm, I think the, the Mike Trout comparisons are too much. He's not Mike Trout. Nobody's Mike Trout. But Dylan Cruz is very, very good. 
I agree with everything that you said. You know, Skeen's continued dominance and then the fact that he is talked about in sort of these hushed tones compared to, to you know, you know, I don't know how many people remember but when Steven Strasburg was coming out, he was kind of deemed the best pitching prospect ever, you know, draft uh, college pitching prospect ever. So for him to be in that neck of the woods is, you know, is telling and, and really, you know, there's a whole, uh, I agree with what Jim says that there's no wrong answer. It's almost one in one a, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, you could go either way. We could have kept cruising the top spot. We, you know, we, or do what we did. And I think it's just for those reasons that Jim laid out is why we ended up making the switch this time around. And interestingly, Jonathan, I think the first time either of us had done this all year in your last mock draft and you're in the know, you're right there. You're in the Pittsburgh war room almost. It's right in your backyard. (laughs) Ben Charrington and Steve Saunders in your backyard with a tent planning the draft in Pittsburgh. But you had, you had, you had schemes going number one, which is I think the first time either of us did not have Dylan Cruz going number one in what have we done six mocks now that's right yeah no that that's right and uh i mean it's funny when that happens because you know there's no certainty and uh but it's certainly possible you know, you know and, and a strong possibility you know it's not not picking an outlier just cause you know I, I think there is still a very good chance that they decide to take paul Skeens, and he could be in their rip you know he could be in the pirates rotation well, he could be in the rotation next month, but he won't be. You know, but you know, beginning of next year, I don't. I don't think it's going to take him very long to 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 crack a big league rotation. So, it, it could make a lot of sense. I'm going to give you a quick mock draft preview because I, I I'm on mock duty this week, and it's funny because Jonathan, when you went skeins, I was starting to come around. I was like, maybe I'll go skeins next time. I'm starting to think this could happen. It would make a lot of sense, and. I think I'm going to go cruise number one. And as of this moment, <laughs> as we record the podcast, I think I'm sticking with cruise at one. Well, now you're better for now. Well, we'll see. It's uh, it'll, you'll, you'll have a little, we'll have a little lag time right between the time this comes out and the, in the mock draft. It just, it'll wet the appetites, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we aren't going to know. I, we may not know for sure. When do we know about Henry Davis, like three minutes before the draft started in, in 2021, <laughs> like, like if, if, if we know for sure, I don't even know if we'll know for sure. I, I would guess we won't, Jonathan, when you do your next mock two days before the draft. But for, for now, I'm reading the tea leaves. I'm still going to read Cruz going 1-1. Do you, uh, <clears throat> do you foresee anyone else other than who has been in the top five spots for the entirety cracking the top five? Or is it just not going to happen? Oh, I think it could. I, I the hardest thing, Jonathan. I don't remember if we were talking about this or I was just thinking it because <laughs> we're doing a lot of thinking and talking these days with these many subjects <laughs> at the same time. And I can't like remember that. what was the conversation or just a thought. the The biggest issue I find when I'm doing mocks is, I mean, you, no, you very rarely in rare situations when maybe the right team is picking number two and somebody tells you we're picking this guy and if he's gone, we're picking that guy. It's more you have intel and you're trying to figure out who it is. You're, you're making a decision. You, you Certainly after the first couple of picks, you rarely know, hey, this team's definitely taking that guy. And I find that like when I just, when I look at like a guy goes and I, and I, I had him as a possibility, but I didn't pick him. The trap I fall into when I'm trying to decide is like, this is who the team should pick. This is who makes the most sense. 
this is the better player in my mind. That's who they should pick. And the teams aren't necessarily drafting that way, but I, I'll <laughs> lean that way as like a tiebreaker. I do think I was just talking to somebody who brought it up again. The Tigers pick three, the Twins pick five. Tigers have a new regime. The Mets, I mean, the, the Twins have had a regime in there for a couple of years. They're heavy model teams. They want college bats. If I don't think, I don't think we're going to see Cruz and White Langford from Florida go one two, but if they do, Detroit might go college bat at three and pass Skeens and, and pass the two high school outfielders, you know Max Clark and Walker Jenkins. And the same thing with the Twins. If the Twins are looking at a high school outfielder at five, their model loves college bats, and they might not take a high school outfielder at five. So I I don't know that I'm going to go there yet. Like we'll probably get a better sense as we get closer. I, I'm not going to do that. I don't think in this week's mock, but yeah, I think there's a chance that you could see Detroit or Minnesota take somebody who's not in that top tier of five that we've talked about week after week after week. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. And for some reason, I think it's more chance for the, that it be the Twins, just because I still think you know if, if, if even if you go Cruz one, it goes Cruz Skeens Langford. You know the Tigers get their college bat. And then you've got Texas will take one of the high school bats, and then it'll be up to the Twins to decide which direction to go in. And that's when I think it could go the other way. Yeah, the, the Twins are going to be the interesting one to watch. Like maybe Kyle Teal, the Virginia catcher. Maybe Jacob Gonzalez, the Mississippi shortstop who, Jonathan, he's the hardest guy to peg, or one of them. He could mm-hmm. go in the top 10, or he could go in the 20s. You know, he could go all over the place. Um Maybe Braden Taylor, maybe Tommy Troy. I, who knows? But yeah, it's it's um it it could it could happen. It should not. <laughs> it should not happen. No offense to those other players, but it could. I just hope I can discern between the two as we get closer. Yeah, I mean this this top five is as locked in as certainly I can ever remember a top five being. And I, I look back at mock drafts over the past uh, four years. And in each of those years, uh, you've had last year, you had seven different players uh, go somewhere in the top five. In 2021, you had nine different players go in the top five. 2027, 2019, only six. Uh, but yeah, that, that made me curious whether we would get through an entire mock season with only those five players being in the top five spots. Well, now, now we have something to aspire to, so... Well, let's let's not taint the uh, sanctity of the. I'm going to be yelling at Jonathan next week. You can't go outside the top five. What are you doing? <laughs> well, last year, last year, you get. Do you know how many different players you had go number one in a mock last year? Between the two of us, or just me? Personally? Between the two of you, two. You mentioned that you we have our first different number one in in Skeens now. Last year, you guys had five different players. Really? really? Go number one. Yeah. Um, well, I know Holiday and, and, and Jones, but who else did we have? There was Tamar in one. Okay. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to be able to recall the other. <laughs> I don't remember this at all. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't have been Elijah Green. It, we didn't have Brooks Lee going one. You, you had Brooks Lee going Yeah, one. we had Brooks Lee going A couple one. times. Yeah. Was uh, that you, Jonathan? I don't remember doing I think that. I went Lee one once, and I think you may have gone Tamar one once, unless it was me huh. always mixing things up. I don't remember. And who was the fifth guy? Like, I'm at a loss. It it may have been green at one point. I I don't, don't think so. I no. can't see the universe thought it. that was going to happen. It wouldn't well, have been Parada. 
Kevin Parada. How far back are you going here, Jason? Are you going back to like the preseason mocks? No, no, just back to, uh, just going back to April. All right, I got it here. The fifth was Pete Best. You know what? I think it will. You, I think you're right. It was only four. Okay. Well, yeah, killed the suspension. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't conceive of who else it would have been. Yeah. Yeah, you were right. It was four. Um, Okay. Now what? Uh, College World Series, draft combine, you choose. Choose your own adventure. Spin the choose wheel. all of our own adventure. Wait, Let's did you choose? Do <laughs> College World Series. College World Series, it is. Mm-hmm. All right. So we already talked about Skeens. MVP of the College World Series. Cruz. Yeah. Which uh, surprised me. I thought it was going to be Tommy Tanks, who isn't even draft eligible for hitting two clutch home runs and 11 inning wins. It's fine. It's fine. Cade Beloso is like a sneaky non-top prospect pick who had a great college world series and we didn't even we didn't even get to see skeins uh that was the only like that, that was, I, I were you wanted... guys watching the game last night did you yeah. like i like i couldn't like i thought he was coming in for the ninth up by 14 i was like they aren't really doing this are they um but i, I guess think up, ele- up stuff... 11 they were going to bring him in but up 14 no that's preposterous <laughs> yeah <laughs> i uh i you know obviously i would have liked for a a, a more competitive game and game in that in that, in that finale, and largely because I think we all wanted to see him come in, you know, for however long they were going to use him for, uh, that just would have been fun. Uh, but uh, what are you going to do? Pro- probably for the best that that we didn't see him, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. No, yeah. There was no point, and like the 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 pitch count police would have gone berserk, even though. Yeah, I think the 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 what are they the I'm going to get the name wrong. The play smart guideline, pitch smart guidelines would have been fine with him throwing 60 or 80 pitches, whatever. But like, it, it was, it, it was a great college world series. We've yeah. talked about it in previous podcasts, you know, 10, 11 potential first round picks. That doesn't even count Ty Floyd. Who's not going to go in the first round, but who struck out 17, which tied a nine inning record at the college world series in the opening round of, of the finals for LSU. He'll probably go in the second round now. So it was an incredible. You're teasing our here. mailbag question right there. Oh, am I? Yep. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, and we aren't even talking about all the guys who are going to be first round picks going forward. So it was like about as loaded as a college world series as we can remember. The finals alone had potentially the top three picks in the draft, and and also the games. I think going into the the finals, we had a we had a eleven inning final in the first game of the final round. Well, I'm using the word final a lot too much. <laughs> but and up no at that point, I think the, I think the largest margin of victory in the college world series had been three runs. Nobody had scored more than seven runs in a game. And so it was one of the closest, most competitive college world series we'd ever had. And then we had a 24 to four game and an 18 to four game yeah. uh, the last two days. But I, I thought it was a good, great showcase for, for the best of college baseball. You could see a lot of top players who are going to be major league stars you got to see a lot of close competitive games, just teams leaving it all. You know, like, like I mean, Wake Forest, number one team in the country. I mean, we got to see the, this. I, I think you guys watched too, right? The, the Paul Skeens versus Rhett Louder, who could be the first two pitchers taken the draft. Yeah, that was fantastic. Skeens threw up eight zeros. Louder threw up seven zeros. It goes 11 innings. Uh, you know, Camden Manassi, who's on our top 250, comes in. Like, it throw, first pitch he throws, Tommy White hits it for a, a two run walk off home run. Like that's one of the best games I've ever seen in the College World Series, and then we had when we come back with an eleven inning game the next night with one of the best defensive plays you'll ever see. Trey Morgan of LSU. I don't know if you guys saw that one on a safety squeeze. He's renowned for being this great defensive first baseman. Came in 
charging and made a great play to throw a guy out the plate. Um, I just thought it was a great college world series just from talent and competitive standpoint. And, you know, I, I toyed with the idea of driving out from Chicago for the end. In a way, I'm glad I didn't go out to watch a 24 to four and 18 to four game. <laughs> um, and then had to drive home and we were just too busy, but I thought it was a great showcase for college baseball. And it just reiterated for me why it, it, it's still my favorite event in baseball every year. No, I, I don't and re- I know Jason, we, you have never been right. Still never been. Yeah, and Jonathan a, went, and I don't remember meeting him there. I like how you have to bring up the fact that you don't remember meeting me every single time. <laughs> I just think it's terrible. Like, did, it shows how bad my memory is. Did any is. of us, I don't remember, I remember that I had picked Florida to win, but when we made our predictions. I had Wake Forest. I had Wake Forest beating Florida. I, I, I agreed with both of you. That's right. That's right. You know what, what was interesting? Florida right. was, was, was a good pick. None of us picked LSU, but Florida, you mentioned the pitching depth, Jonathan, which got them all the way to the very end until yep. Jack Caglione had a, t- a terrible start in the finale. But, they, you know, they pitched well in the first game. They lost to Ty Floyd. And then I pointed out, I think we all were very smart, because I pointed out my one concern about Wake, I loved how deep their pitching was, but a team that plays in a band box where the ball flies, and, and the ball did fly more in Omaha this year than usual, but it's a different game in Omaha, and ultimately they couldn't score you know, they, 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 their bats went silent in, in the last two or three games they played, and, and they, they fell short of the finals. Okay. So kudos to all of us. So Nectar to, for we everyone. Need to get to the, uh, we need to get to the combine, right, before... Yeah, I want to I maybe tie these things all together. But sure. For, yeah, combine, Jim, you were there, we were there. Um, let's keep it pretty concise here, though. Just the first names that jump out to you that really stood out really made an impression at the combine. It was over 300 players uh, were there nearly. It was like 169 ranked uh, draft prospects accepted invitations. Obviously the guys at the college world series weren't able to make it. A lot of the guys didn't perform in workouts, uh, but were there for interviews and strength and conditioning, medical testing, those sort of things. But there, there was a lot of activity on the field from what you saw who jumped out? Give me a few names. So you obviously don't know me. You're, you're telling me about 300 players to pick one or two. But I, I will. <laughs> a few. I will, he said a I, few. He knows better. Yeah, I will. I will keep it very tight. I thought the player who stood out the most, helped himself the most on the field, was one of the guys from from Johnson's neck of the draft, and that would be Cam Johnson, the lefty from IMG Academy in Florida, who. Was it ten and what, what he missed time this spring, Jonathan? And I, I'm for the life of me can't think of what it is off the top of my head. Um, I think he had it, it was a minor arm injury. He came back yep. to Florida All Star game, but you know he was a guy who was pushing towards the first round before he went out, and he threw again. It was three minute bullpen, but man, it was ninety five, ninety six, six, and he was spinning a breaking ball. He looked great. He looked healthy. Um, I think he helped himself. I think he he's moving back up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the sandwich round. Honestly. That's how good he looked. So he was probably the biggest on-field guy. The second day, there were so many guys taking uh, like it, it was too much. Jason, we saw I don't like I don't know if 20, 25 guys took BP during the MLB Network broadcast, and it seemed like they were all smoking the ball. But Brandon Winokur was the one who jumped out the most, and I and I don't have his stats in front of me, but Winokur. I do remember the stat. I do remember he took 22 swings. He hit 21 balls at more than hundred miles an hour. Um, 
just bomb after bomb after bomb hit the two longest balls of the day during the broadcast at 437, 432 feet. I think he averaged 106. He topped out at 114. He was just crushing the ball. Um, he also had a 101 mile an hour throw in the outfield. So those, I will keep myself concise. Those would be the two guys. And, and Cam Johnson was elbow tendonitis. Um, was what it was. And it was good spin rates on his fastball too. But those would be, if I can only pick two, those would be the two guys who made the biggest impression on me. I can't believe you kept it to two. I didn't even specify two. I said a few and you kept it to two. Well, it's because this, this is going to be like an hour and 45 minute podcast <laughs> if I started talking about other guys. So we're just going to keep point. it keep it at two. All right. So kind of quickly going back to the top 250 list. And then we talked about College World Series and Combine. Some guys on the top 250 making moves in the first round territory. Are there guys from College World Series, from Combine, or maybe guys that weren't in either either realm there? Well, you mentioned Ty Floyd. I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much because we won't talk about those guys uh, College World Series-wise. So why don't we put a pin in that? Because that's what our mailback question is about. Um, I don't know that the the combine will move the needle that much. You know, Jim mentioned Cam Johnson and I actually had, I, I snuck him into the comp round of my last mock. Not that I have any certainty, but his name is starting to come up uh, again. And I think the fact that he's come out now a couple times and thrown well and looked like the guy who might've challenged for, you know, along with Thomas white is the, the best high school lefty in the class and thus the best lefty. Um, he's got an up arrow next to his name. So I, I think, you know, that he's, he was a, a guy who definitely might've helped himself in terms of where he goes in the draft more than anybody else, uh, in terms, you know, in terms of draft status. Otherwise there are other guys who have made huge leaps. I mean, we've been hearing Sammy Stafora's name, you know, in first round conversations for a while, and we, you know, in, in the 250 that, you know, we're launching, he made a, a huge jump up to reflect that um, as we're sort of getting more information as to what people think of his his tools and their teams that are higher on him than we, you know, than we anticipated. So not a guy who helped himself at the, the combine necessarily, but a guy who has made a, a significant, you know, about as large a leap, right, Jim, as anybody. Yep. Um, you know, on the list and in terms of where it sounds like he he may go. He, we had him in the 80s, and now he looks like a late first round, maybe comp round pick at worst. Yeah, and I, I think some of the guys, I'm, I'm going to be Mr. Concise here for a while. Um, some of the other guys who've kind of made moves solidifying themselves in the first round territory, I think the two college guys who maybe were on the bubble, at least in our minds a couple weeks ago, would have been Brain Taylor, TCU, and uh, Chase Davis of Arizona. And I think we feel pretty comfortable both those guys are going in the first round somewhere. Taylor might even go in the top 10. Um, and then I think two guys who've jumped into maybe not quite first round territory. It's possible, but more like I don't think these guys, any way they get out of the sandwich round, would be Johnny Farmello, who's a a high school outfielder from Virginia and Joe Whitman, who's the lefty from Kent state who we're going to not roll tape, I guess, but roll recording of. Look at that. Very shortly. Segway. Yes. 
But th- I think those are the biggest guys making a move into into the first round or or, or close. Well, well, let's hear from Joe Whitman. Why don't we? Why don't we roll recording as as Jim says? We'll take a break, come back, and then roll recording on Joe Whitman. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jim Callis of MLB Pipeline here with Joe Whitman, Mac Pitcher of the Year from Kent State, potential uh, first-round pick here at the uh, Draft Combine. Joe, thanks for uh, for joining us. Uh, what's your Combine experience been like? Like, when did you get here? I think you said you're staying through Saturday, but how many days are you going to be here, and what's on what's on tap for you? Uh, so, yeah, I leave on Saturday. I got here last night pretty late. Um, so today just had like medical stuff this morning and then after lunch it's just been a bunch of uh different club interviews and then it's been it's been a cool experience being able to be in the stadium and being uh talking to all the different clubs and just getting to know a bunch of people it's been a been a super cool experience how many different teams are you going to interview with i guess so you'll be you'll have been here for Three full days and parts of two other days. How many different teams will you talk to while you're here? Uh, I'm not 100% sure on the total number, but I mean, I've already met with four today. I believe I have one more after after dinner, and then a couple more in the next couple days. So probably I'd say somewhere in the teens. What uh, What's the most interesting question anybody's asked you in one of those interviews? Um, a lot of the a lot of the questions are a lot of, uh, usually the same, but I mean the the most frequent question that I get asked in any interview is just, uh, I mean, why I left Purdue and what, why I transferred. Right. Well, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's stick with the combine for a minute. So who's, uh, is there anybody you're looking forward to meeting here at the combine with any of the teams or like, uh, I don't really know. I don't know. I don't really know a lot of people within baseball at all. Uh, it's just cool being able to see some guys that I played summer ball with, uh, such as who? Who'd well. you run into? Uh, I ran into Enrique Bradfield yes, uh, this morning. It was cool to see him, Isaiah Coupe today. Uh, just super cool to see those guys again and just, uh, just be in the same area, I guess. Was the Combine something that was on your radar as like an attainable goal coming into the year? Were you thinking much about it? or uh, I wasn't thinking a whole lot about it. I mean, I wasn't even going to come to the Combine until like last week. Just right. determined to last week, so... I mean, I knew it was a thing, but I didn't really, didn't really expect to be able to to be here. Right. 
Well, and it's interesting. I mean, because there's different strategies for different draft prospects. And like my understanding, you pitched at Kent State and you had a great year, but do you guys not have TrackMan? TrackMan like there's not a lot of data on your stuff. So, as my understanding, you went to the Cape, so you could at least have one start where all the data was measured, and you pitched great up there. I think it was five innings, two hits, no walks, nine strikeouts. Like, could not have had a better outing. Showed everybody what they wanted to see. I guess got some data on record, and the metrics look good. And then, so the plan after that, like, you weren't originally coming here, but then the then it changed. And like, people come here for different reasons. Like, there's, you know, you made I think count the Cape 16 starts this year. So there's no real need for you to throw a three-minute bullpen. People have seen you, but like you said, you can meet teams face-to-face. Teams put a big premium on that. You get to know the teams, too, and you can do the medical stuff, which is a huge bonus because the new rules that came in last year, if something crops up in a physical, well, if, by, by consenting to take the physical, you're guaranteed 75% of the assigned pick value for you get picked. So if something were to crop up, A, a team that would be, you know, if they found out after the fact wouldn't want you, they're not going to take you, but you're going to get taken by a team. You know, there's protection for both sides. So, like, I think it makes makes a lot of sense. How how long, how much medical testing is there? I mean, how, have you done all your medical exams already, or are there? Uh, I still have a lot to do. I've only done cardiology and uh, the blood test labs. But, I mean, I know there's there's MRI stuff that we have to do that I've heard takes takes a while because we go to some off-site place to take that. And then uh, there's also vision testing and stuff that I still have to do. So, yeah, pretty I think I have one or two medical things. They do MRIs also? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. They take us to a, a different, like a hospital or something right. like that, I believe. Yeah, no, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, I know that's something that both sides were, were the rule makes sense because it protects both sides. Because yeah. the first year there was no protection for the players, so very few guys took medicals because there was there was no upside in it. Before we get back into your baseball career, I was talking to your advisor and he said, I should ask you about living in Europe growing up yeah so what's the story about that how many years did you spend in europe growing up and, uh, so i lived there for four years four years excuse me uh from when i was eight until i was 12. so i mean we drew, we uh we moved out there for my dad's job and uh, i mean it was a super cool experience just being able to be out there and uh just see the world uh we traveled all over the place every weekend every chance we got just being able to see the beauty that europe has and how different the culture is here to what it is there and i mean it definitely shaped who I am as a person and it's something that uh that I look back on and just I'm super thankful for having happened what's your dad's job and where were you guys based did you stay in one place for four years or did you move around at all uh so he's a corporate attorney I'm not exactly sure what he does but uh (laughs) we were in uh Geneva Switzerland all four years so yeah it was a super super cool experience yeah no it's uh I did one on a Swiss vacation last year we did like a hiking and biking trip and it was unbelievable and Yeah, I've had my kids go through college, and like the great thing about Europe, like you, like they did the same thing when they were studying abroad. You can go to a different country every weekend. It's easy to get around. You can see all these different cultures. It's an amazing experience. So coming out of high school, you initially, well, you I would say committed to Purdue. You went to Purdue, and I was reading online that that even late in your high school career, you weren't even thinking about playing college baseball necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I, it didn't really strike me as something that I was able to do. I mean, because I played I played JV the first two years of high school, and then. Going into my junior year, I mean, I was coming off an injury in basketball, and then the coaches were like, hey, like, you have a spot on the team, but we don't know if you're going to be JV, varsity, might be a floater, something like that. But I ended up playing just varsity, had a really good year, and my uh, high school coach actually sat me down and was like, hey, like, have you ever thought about playing college baseball? And I'm like, no, not really. I haven't really given it any thought. I mean, I'm not really, 
I don't really want to go to like a D3 school and play or something like that. And he's like, well, I think you'll have a little bit more of a tick of like Division One schools. And I was like, oh, okay. And then that summer, it kind of, it kind of, the recruiting kind of took off a little bit. And then how'd you wind up set picking Purdue? Uh, so my dad actually graduated from Purdue. Okay. He was a student there. And I, so I grew up a Purdue fan. And uh, it was my dream school growing up. And uh, once they offered, it was it was just something that I had to jump on because it was just a dream come true. And then, so your two years at Purdue, I think you pitched, was it five or five and two-thirds innings? You could pitch a lot. You're battling the strike zone somewhat. How frustrating was that? I mean, you're there on the team for two years, but you never really get a chance to do much. Oh, yeah, it was pretty frustrating. But uh, just being able to learn from those, those years and just being able to work like the hard work that I put in to be able to be there in the first place and then being there and working hard and continue to work hard and just overcoming that adversity is definitely something that that I reflect on and I mean it's 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 part of who I am now and it's it's part of the player that I am and I I don't think I'd change it to be honest I mean obviously I'd love to have played at Purdue because that was my dream school and just a place that I loved being but I mean just it it molded me into the person that I am today and something that I look back on it. I'm, I'm grateful for what happened. And it, it was interesting. So you didn't throw a lot of strikes when you got a chance to pitch at Purdue. But actually, last summer, you got a chance to pitch in the Northwoods League, which is one of the two or three best college leagues out there. And you threw strikes. And you even got an opportunity at the end of the summer to go to the Cape Cod League, which is the best summer league. And you threw strikes. What clicked for you over the summer that you were finding the strike zone more often? Uh, I think I was. Just, I just went out there and was just more relaxed. I uh, just went out there with something to prove, kind of a chip on my shoulder, and uh, just went out there and had fun with the game, and that's, that's what I've been doing since. Did you decide to transfer before the summer, during the summer? When did you enter the transfer portal, and when did you decide on Kent State? Uh, so I entered the portal right after our last game. We got back from the Big Ten tournament during our exit meetings. I'd pretty much determined it, I'd say, probably halfway through the yeah. season. I was super frustrated and was like, hey, like. I mean, you're not called, pitching. Yeah, I, mean, so. I called my advisor and I was like, hey, like, I think at the end of the year, I think I'm going to get the transfer portal and just see what that has to offer. And he was behind it. He was fully in my corner. And then, I mean, I ended up with Kent because obviously I'm from that area and it's it's just a historically amazing program. The coaches there are the best. Mike Birkbeck is the uh, best to ever do it. I mean, he's awesome great guy on and off the field and and uh just after talking with those coaches the whole summer it was just it felt like a great fit and uh 100 was a great fit talk a little bit more about how much mike birkbeck's helped you because he's kind of i think been kent's it's funny for a guy who's that successful and was a former big leaguer like he doesn't i, I think it's because he's soft-spoken he doesn't get a lot of attention but he is one of the best pitchers best pitching coaches in the country kent has had a ton of success now in my own personal so I went to Georgia, and they hired Scott Strickland a few years ago. He just lost his job this year. And when they hired him, I was like thinking, oh, man, I hope Brookback goes to Athens. That would be great. And he wanted to stay put, so he stayed at Kent. He's continued to turn out pitchers. But, like, I think, you know, maybe it's because Kent's not, like, a perennial you know, college World Series program. He doesn't get the attention of, say, a Wes Johnson, who's now the coach of Georgia, and once he's done with LSU. But just talking to scouts, like, I think he's as respect as any pitching coach in the country – how, what, what did he do specifically to kind of help you get to where you are today? Uh, he just would sit me down and talk to me and just give me give me pointers on everything and just just be real about everything and uh, just teach me how to understand the game better, how to understand hitters better, and just how to use how to use my pitches to the maximum potential. 
Has your, I, I know the controls obviously gotten better and it started to last summer. Is your stuff better than it was, say, a year ago, or is it just you're throwing more strikes with it, or have you improved the quality of your pitches too? Um, I'd say I've improved the quality of every pitch. I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, I had a below jump this past, past year, and that's helped a lot, being able to throw harder, and then slider's been a lot better, and obviously developing a changeup is has been a big piece too, just being able to add that third pitch. So, I mean, hugely successful year. You're the Mid-American Conference Pitcher of the Year. I think you gave up more than two earned runs maybe twice in 15 starts. Um, you know, you're, it's funny, talking to scouts about you throughout the year, the opinions just keep getting better and better. Like, I remember talking to guys in midseason, and guys were intrigued. But was like, kind of want to see how he finishes the season because he really didn't pitch for two years at Purdue. And then it was like, hey, I think he's going the top three rounds to – I, you know, hey, he's going in the top two rounds. Now it's like, might go in the first round. You know, he might be the best college lefty in the draft. What were your expectations for the draft coming into the year at Kent State? Like, if, say, if I told you in January, hey, Joe, you might go in the first round, would you have believed that? Uh, I probably would have told you you were delusional, if I'm being honest. Uh, obviously, it was in the back of my mind a little bit, just talking with Ben throughout the year. But, I mean, our goal going into the year was probably – top 10 rounds just I don't know just feel it out see what happens but I mean as the year progressed it was like okay like we can like there's something to this and then obviously towards the end of the year it was like okay this is legitimate like like thing that's gonna happen like and it's it's super cool like just being able to realize this and I mean just being able to be here is is crazy I never thought like if you told me a year ago that I'd be sitting right here having this conversation I'd have been like there's no there's no way yeah, and I mean, I know during the season when I talk to guys about the draft, it's easy to kind of put the draft out of your mind because you're playing a game. You know, you're, if you're a hitter, you're playing four times a week. If you're a pitcher, you're pitching at least once a week. So it's easy. you got other stuff going on. you got to school too. I mean, now school's out. You're done pitching officially for the summer. How much do you pay attention to the draft chatter? I mean, do you, are you looking at mock drafts and seeing what people are saying, or do you try to not look at that stuff? Uh, I try to not really look at it. I've seen some stuff here and there on like Twitter and Instagram, but I mean, whatever whatever the mock drafts are saying is what is what's going to happen. You don't so know. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. So I mean, you can. You, I just take those with a grain of salt, really, and just whatever happens with the draft is, is what happens. What are your plans for a draft night? Or what are you guys going to do? Uh, I'm just going to watch it at home with my parents. You guys having probably. people over or just some of that? Uh, uh, probably just, just the three of us because my brother and sister are both going to be out of town. Okay. So, Well, I appreciate you stopping by and talking to us. I know you're, it's kind of a hectic comment. We've added to your interview total here. Uh, it's but, all right. uh, we're, we're not going to draft. We will not be drafting you, but we'll be, uh, we'll be looking forward to watching your pro career unfold. And congratulations. I mean, it's been a great season, and I think you're positioned really well for the draft. And I guess we're – a little over two weeks, we'll find out exactly exactly where you're going. But thanks a lot, Joe. I really appreciate Thank it. You. Okay, that's it. This is uh, Jim Callis and Ollie Pipeline, and we'll go back to the podcast in a moment. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Thanks very much to Joe Whitman uh, for talking to Jim during the MLB Draft Combine. Let's move on to talk about our top 100 prospects list, freshly updated, what we like to call here market corrections. The biggest news, I guess, is that there's a new number one prospect in baseball. The timing on this was interesting because Jordan Walker had been number one and then he graduated. He exceeded his rookie eligibility thresholds on, what was it, like Friday? Thursday or Friday of last week. And so Jackson Churio, who's number two, slid into the number one spot. Um, but then we had the we had the market corrections come out on Sunday night. And so Churio was at number one there for a couple of days. But then part of market corrections is making sure that the top 15 spots are as we want them. And so you guys discussed those top 15 and uh, ended up with Holiday, uh, not not just Holiday in front of Cheerio, but also Ellie De La Cruz, obviously on uh, partially, at least on the strength of what he's done since being called up. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, that was an interesting decision with the new number one. What went into that? I, you know, it's sort of like our discussion about Skeens and Cruz in a lot of you ways. You're tell me there's no wrong answer. Yes. I mean, in effect, That's the title I mean, is podcast. That's, um, I love it. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's that much separating the two of them, you know, and I know people on social media were getting all hot and bothered that we didn't have Ellie De La Cruz in number one, you know, first and foremost, it's been what, 73 at bats in the big league. So let's just take it easy. And you know, listen, I'm I'm as excited about Ellie Dale Cruz as anyone, and I think he's capable of doing anything at all. You know, you could put 70s on most of his tools if you really wanted to, but I think, you know, for me, the very slight difference will be one certainty that Holiday could play shortstop, um, and I, maybe Ellie Dale Cruz does too. But you know, there I feel more certainty there, and then two, the approach at the plate. And yes, it's you know it's hard to argue too much because Ellie De La Cruz has been ridiculous. You know, first in AAA and then in the big leagues at a very young age. But what Jackson Holiday has done in terms of his plate discipline, uh, in terms of limiting strikeouts and drawing walks, he's a teenager in high A. I think they're going to have to move him to Double A soon. You know that that it was the ever ever sl- the slightest of edges to me. But there to me, uh, if there had been you know, if I had said, oh, Holiday should be one, and both Jim and Sam Dykstra said Ellie should be one, I'd be like, yeah, I'm good with that. 
had had this uh, adjustment occurred a, a week earlier and Walker was still eligible, what would that have looked like? Well, I would have Holiday and Ellie De La Cruz ahead of him. Um, so, and I, and I, I like Jordan Walker. And like I, everything Jonathan just said would have been my answer. And for the record, Sam actually had Ellie De La Cruz ahead of Jackson Holiday. Like, so we, it was no. very close. Like, yeah, I forgot. Sorry, the Sam. one I might have thought about, because and he's graduated off the list. I think as we're recording this, he's probably vacating the list. I might have put Yuri Perez ahead of Jordan Walker because you guys know I've <laughs> I've been just enchanted by Yuri Perez since Instructional League in, in 2020 when I first heard about him. He's been so ridiculous in the big leagues. Like all the stuff you dreamed of how good Yuri Perez or that I dreamed of how good Yuri Perez could be, so far he's been even better. Um I I might have voted. I, you know what? I I, I, I would have made. I couldn't have vacillated. I, I would have voted Yuri Perez ahead of Jordan Walker. I, I'm I'm that enchanted by Yuri Perez. I would have put Jordan Walker fourth. Man, those those five guys are so good. It's a pretty good group, right? I mean, I, I would I would be curious to match them up to any top five we've had over the past decade and see see how they compare. Once we get a few to, few years down the road, I mean, well, well guys, here's a quick, quick, quick quiz for both you guys. Were you putting Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens when they come in when they sign? How high can you go with those guys? Ooh. Well, you're right. Perez is should be off the list as of today. Um, I mean, I think Skeens becomes the top pitching prospect. Yep. So inside the top 10. Yeah, because as of now, you have Bobby Miller at eight. He may be gone by then. Probably, yeah. Or close to it. Andrew Painter is next at 10, hasn't pitched this year. Yeah. Gavin Williams is at 12, may be gone from from our list by then. Uh, then you have Kyle Harrison at 13. I, so, yeah, I mean, I he, think I would put Skeens in like right around where Bobby Miller was. And then, you know, based on our earlier conversation, Dylan Cruz should go right in, right in the same vicinity. Yeah. And I almost think you could argue those guys even as high as, you know, right Four or five. in the neighborhood of Churio and Marcelo yep. Meyer, maybe behind them mm-hmm. because those guys have done it in pro ball. You know, may, you know, maybe part of it comes down to how well James Wood and Jordan Lawler navigate double a between now and when the time those guys sign in in roughly a month or so but yeah i mean we could wind up putting <laughs> skeins and Cruz could be the number five and six prospect well and ellie de la cruz will probably grad close to graduating they could be the i mean they could both be top five prospects coming out of the draft now I, now i want to know the highest debut of a draftee on a top 100 prospects list and i know we have that somewhere. i'm confident you will research that and and if we don't find it this week, you will present it to us on next week's podcast. Yes, we I thought you, you. I thought you might have that uh, on file in the memory banks, Jim. No, I will. I, I have no short term memory of <laughs> anything that's happened in the last five years. So that's long term memory. Um, my my long long term memory is good. Other than right. that, gotcha. Not good. Gotcha. I've got it right here. I'm going to uh, venture to guess with that before you telling us that that would be the highest. It de- it depends on well. 
It wouldn't be. Uh, yeah, I was going to say it depends on how high in the top five, but uh, really, I'm yeah. going gonna to guess before you tell us this predates my arrival at MLB.com because you would never September. allow such a thing to happen. No, well, no, I'm saying it should happen this year, but like I can't remember, <laughs> so I'm going to say it happened before I arrived in September 2013. Like maybe it happened with Bryce Harper. It did happen with Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg, but it also happened with Torkelson and Rutschman, who debuted at four and six, respectively. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I don't remember that. All right. Well, I mean, mean, during the pandemic, which was obviously a terrible year, and we couldn't watch baseball, we could just talk baseball, everybody was going berserk about how Torkelson... Yeah, one guy say he was the best true. college hitter he saw since Bob Horner, who went straight to the big leagues and won the Rookie of the Year award. Um, so, yeah, okay. All right, well, see, my memory is faulty. I, I can mm-hmm. remember Mine too. Bryce Harper and Strasburg way back when, but I couldn't remember the two guys I was here for. So, yep. All right, back to our uh, market corrections. And tell us about some guys uh, who made the biggest jumps. Well, Give third baseman, right? It's 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 the two third basemen, Junior Caminero and and Colt Keith. Caminero with the Rays went fifty four to seventeen. I feel like we've talked about him on a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. this year. Um, and then Colt Keith, who we saw in the Fall League last year, jumped from eighty to to forty three. I, I I thought if we had most interesting jump, yeah, you know, we we we're we're not holding back on Ethan Salas anymore. Who is I guess he's seventeen now, right? And he and he's fifty two on our list. Yeah, no, I like I like being aggressive with him. You know, with, uh, we were kind of waiting to see, and uh, obviously, it's not like he's got such huge sample of work for us to make that leap. But I, uh, I like that we're jumping in, both feet. And then uh, you know, Andrew Abbott made a jump of twenty nine. Obviously, the, making the jump to the big leagues and having success there, uh, and AJ Smith Shaver, who will you know. If he stays in the big leagues, we'll you know we'll graduate off the list. That he made a a twenty seven jump. It was funny on Twitter. People were sort of like, "Well, you know, it's because they trying to make up for the fact that they didn't have him on from the get go." I was like, "Yeah, no how'd one you miss that a... one, Jonathan? How'd you miss that <laughs> I mean, one? I'll tell you why. Because he 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 didn't pitch a whole lot in his first full year, and he wasn't really all that good. I mean, this has been what he's done this year is extraordinary." Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad we got him on the list and I'm glad we moved him up, you know, and then we'll see how the Braves use him. My guess is he'll, uh, he'll graduate on service time before innings, but, uh, we'll have to see how that unfolds. Speaking of pitching, I had a, I have a question for Jason here. The two most incredible stats I've seen this week, but also like two of the more incredible stats I've seen in a while. I don't know if you guys were watching the college world series game last night. Yeah. Tommy White. This was like absurd. It was like (laughs) Tommy White's batting average. Did you see this, Jonathan? Did you watch the game? I watched the game, but I I wasn't like focusing in on it. It went went up after they showed it. it, Yeah, this was insane. So they they see Tommy White, who's going to be not the best athlete in the world, but clutch hitter, probably first round pick, a lot of power. Combine stand out in 2020. So Tommy Tanks, batting average. We'll ask you this, Jonathan. Batting, what do you think? Like Dylan Cruz has been on base like Every game. 180 times this year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And Tommy White bats behind him. So, what do you think Tommy White's batting average is with Dylan Cruz on base this year? 479. 
It was six eighty six. Come on, no, <laughs> and it went up because I think he went four for five last night with Dylan Cruz on base. Yeah, it, and it was two thirty. Like it was like two thirty something with Dylan Cruz not on base. It's like, I, I, I it's absurd. That that so that was absurd. But Jason, I think the other day in Slack when we were doing top one hundred related stuff, I, I don't remember the numbers. You'll have to share it. The number of pitchers on the top one hundred prospects list right now. And we're not going to count, well, he was in the big leagues, who are healthy and pitching in the minor leagues. So not big leaguers, not hurt. How many healthy minor league pitchers are on the top 100 prospects list? I cannot believe how low this number was. Yeah. At the time, it was nine. Nine, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's gone up a notch or two because uh, Yuri Perez has graduated. Carson Wisenhunt has been added to the oh, top okay. 100 since. And I think maybe uh, someone returned from the IL or I, I think it might be, it's 10, it's 10 or 11. It's still very low. It, um, I mean, I got to think that's the lowest ever. Maybe um, it's like all the good pitchers are either have been promoted for the most part. And, you know, like who's the highest, is it Gavin Williams, the highest one who meets our qualifications? No, he's in the big leagues. He's in the big leagues. So who's who, who's the highest pitcher on the list? Kyle Harrison. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Who could be He's in the big the... leagues? Like with the way our podcast has been going, it probably <laughs> means he'll be promoted before this goes goes up, goes up. So, uh, but yeah, it's crazy. Let's quickly just rattle off uh, some of the guys who made the biggest falls in this adjustment of the top 100 list: Hassel, Veen, Papio, Green. They don't even get first names. You hold them. <laughs> I don't want to. Don't want to shame them too much. And lighter, um, <laughs> new faces on the list, and these guys are all uh, toward the bottom of the top 100 now. We will give you first names: Jacob Mizarowski, uh, Christian Encarnacion, Strand, Nick Frasso, Yankiel Yankiel Fernandez, Brian Wu, and Anthony Solomedo. All. Added to the top 100 list. And Carson Wisnett. Well, yeah. They, yeah. He, he was, you know, not technically part of the uh, market corrections. He was added once Yuri came off after. But yes, and Carson Wisnett. So uh, the market corrections article, which breaks all of this down, is on MLB.com slash pipeline. Go check that out. I, I can't believe that we're this far into the podcast and futures game rosters are just now being broached. And what's insane is if we had a hard cap of an hour, we would have just said, I guess we'll talk about the Futures game next week, I guess. But we're not doing that. Yeah. We have no hard no. cap. No, rosters uh, rosters just came out. Uh, they are, as always, loaded. Did you guys see? I sent, I sent you guys uh, a link yeah. to uh, the sort of Futures game history of top 100 prospects. So going back... Uh, to 2012, um, noted the number of top 100 prospects on Futures Game rosters. This year, we have 28, which is the exact same number uh, that we had last year. Uh, we had a high of 36 in 2019, a low of only 18 in 2016. But on average, it's like, what is it? I didn't do that. It's like 26? Seven. Seven? I mean, you did the math. 20, it's 27. Yeah. 
Oh, I did do the math. It's right there. <laughs> I did it again. We're all very tired. See, I told you. This always is, happy we are, we are to never point out a more thing tired. you already did. <laughs> Thank we, you. We are never more tired than this time of the year doing this. Do, do mm. These next three podcasts, tremendous content, tremendous fatigue. We're just powering through. But there, there's even more evidence of it. <laughs> so th- this is what, the 24th Futures game? Is that right, Jonathan? I believe so. I think you, you wrote the story that... You know how says, much I trust says, my so. own math. Let me point yeah, out something that you already was did. the first one, and we didn't have one during the pandemic. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, we're we're all involved in in the selection process, and I think there's there's something to be said for how difficult it is to get everybody on that you want to get on. And like sometimes, you know, you look at the players who are available to be voted on and you're like what about this guy or what about that guy and then you kind of realize that like these are the very best players and sometimes guys are either on the cusp of being in the big leagues and a you know major league team is not going to want them to go to the futures game uh guys may have injury issues guys already up in the big leagues but i mean year after year this is just an incredible showcase of talent oh without without question it's just uh you know for us it's a little kid in a candy store kind of quality to it to see them all assembled at one time uh you know and the numbers speak for themselves uh just the the amount of talent that comes every year so many of these guys are in the big leagues later this year um by next year uh you know what it, it, it's it's kind of uncanny and like i said in the in the story about the release the Top 10 career active leaders in war, eight of them played in the Futures game before becoming big league stars. So it's just, you want to know who's coming next, you need to watch the game each each and every year. So this year's Futures game rosters, we have, five, what is it, five of the top 10? I think it's Pro- six. Six, six yeah. of the top 10. And... The others, for the most part, are entirely not available. They're in the big leagues, uh, dealing with injury issues uh, or otherwise. I I think that probably covers everybody who's not. Um, And what is it out of? Did did you break it down beyond that, Jonathan? I feel like I did. Um, It's funny. I did. Six top ten. I think it was. 28 top 100 guys. Well, right, 28 top 100 guys, and I think it was uh, you know, 16 in the National League, 12 in the American League. There you go. I, I, I'm trying to search for, I did, I did do, I think it was 19 out of the top 50, if I remember correctly. I didn't put that in the story. I just, when we were just talking, you know, on Slack or whatever, I think I had that breakdown. All right, so we get Jackson Holiday, number one. We get Jackson Churio, number three. We get Marcelo Meyer, number five, James Wood, number six, Jordan Lawler, number seven, Pete Crow Armstrong, number 10. A lot of really exciting guys there. Who are you most excited to see in this year's Futures game? Limit yourself again, Jim. Well, you did you such know, a good I'm, job last time. You, you know, I, I will. I will continue to do a good job. Um, you know, I'm picking Jacob Mizorowski, who I've been fascinated with forever going back to high school. And we very excited to do the the podcast interview with him last week and talk about the combine. And I think he's got the best stuff in the minor leagues in terms of just power and 
life and incredible extension and he just keeps getting better. So I'm really excited. He, he'd be number one for me. And yeah, you know, it, it would be easy to take Jackson holiday. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to, I decided I couldn't take Jackson holiday cause he's number one. And then I was going to go with Jackson Churio, but he's number three. And that feels like that's too easy. Also, you know what? I, I'm going to go with Sir Harry Ford, hometown hero, I like it. hero of Great Britain, super athletic catcher. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Harry Ford can do. So I'm, I'm going to go Harry Ford, and I will cut myself off at two. Those are my two top two guys. It's hard. This is, it's hard to pick just two. Even I mean, not just for Jim, who can't limit himself to the number he's limited to. Um, so I no, I uh, I like Harry Ford, and I was talking to. Jason, I think that was yesterday, but you know, we used to have time and we would bring futures gamers in early. And I had this vision of touring around with Harry Ford in Seattle and having him catch fish at Pike's Market. And I'm very sad that that won't happen, but uh, there's just too much going on. For me, uh, I'm going to start with James Wood, kind of picking you know, from the top, but he's one of these guys that you know, we've been hearing so much about. He was involved in the trade. I've never seen him in person. So I'm just uh, I'm intensely curious to see him on that stage. He's you know six six. He's super athletic. Uh, you know, batting practice at the Futures game is always uh, an event in and of itself, and so I'm excited to see him do that. But I want to see all of his tools on display. And then the other guy is the aforementioned Junior Caminero because we've you know he has moved up. And he I think he was the biggest leaper in each of our two you know, updates, market corrections to the top 100. And now he's the top raised prospect, uh, you know, at a super young age, more than holding his own at, at, at a high level. Uh, and so, you know, another guy that I've not seen, and he's kind of burst on the scene up into the sort of upper echelons of our rankings very, very quickly this year. And so I want to I wanna see what it looks like. That's an exciting uh, outfield group in the National League with Wood, uh, Churio, aforementioned Pete Crow Armstrong. Get some real burners out there too with uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, Justin Crawford, Victor Scott, the second of the Cardinals. I'm uh, intrigued to see the wheels in that outfield. And, and next fun. week, next week we we have to do the home run derby picks. That's right. We'll we'll draft our uh, our unofficial futures game home run derby teams next and week. I, and I think instead of team Ratliff just being leftovers no you, you should, should you should get to pick I don't know I kind of like the challenge okay well, I mean, then you can just you. you can decide that you can decide that all right we'll see the draft definitely has to be serpentine that that's that's the one thing we that do matters. know that yeah has to be serpentine to, for issues of fairness okay let's answer our question from the mailbag this comes from DC Hendricks who asks which draft prospect stock has risen the most since the college World Series tourney the college W tourney I assume that means the college world I'm Series. I'm gonna consider that the college World Series and not the start of regionals is that fair Jonathan is that I how think that's tripping? fair so um, uh, um, well you know you started talking about Ty Floyd earlier and I think he's probably the as you pointed out the biggest example of a guy who definitely is moving rapidly and his performance, uh, especially the last call, you know, his last start uh, has, has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's pushed his way into the first round, but we we've talked repeatedly. The college pitching is just not deep in this draft. We, we have the, the, the big four, you know, Skeens is going to go in the top two picks probably. And then we've got Rhett Lauder who's at the world series. They were all at the world series. We've chased Dolander and we've Hurst and Waldrop. 
and those guys are all going to go in the first round somewhere. And then after that, it's like, okay, who's next? And, you know, it's, it's Joe Whitman, friend of the podcast we talked to today. He's in that mix. It's, I think, Brandon Sprout of Florida, who was also at the College World Series. Um, even though he's been the highest unsigned player in two different drafts, is going to factor in that mix. I think Hunter Owen, who threw well at the Combine and looked healthy, and that was a big question, is in that mix. And I think Ty Floyd has thrust himself into that that second group. You know, as you kind of alluded to, John, he struck out 17 in eight innings. That ties the nine-inning record of the College World Series uh, held by Eddie Bain, who was a, one of the best college players of all time and a, a great scout as well, went straight to the big leagues as a player. I actually texted with Eddie while it was going on, nice. and he was talking about like he's he had an unbelievable curveball, and he had it when he got to the big leagues, and he lost it early in his big league career and never got it back. And he still doesn't know what happened, but but Eddie was a legend. And uh, uh, since Danny's not here, we're just going to go two hours anyway. Do you guys know who mm-hmm. holds the all-time College World Series strikeout record and how many it is? No, but I bet you do. First Maybe. College World Series. Oh, were you going to guess? It's not Rick Monday, but were you there? I was not. I was not. I was as yet unborn, but uh, but 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 but, <laughs> but no soon excuse. to make my debut. Only a couple <laughs> of years away. I wanted to go. I just wasn't born yet. Um, but uh, although <laughs> my my oldest son went to College World Series when he was one, the great Warren Morris uh, College World Series. But anyway, Steve Arlen struck out twenty in a fifteen inning game to get Ohio State to the finals, where they lost to Arizona State. And then Wait, did he came, pitch 15 innings or it was just a 15 inning game? I think he pitched all 15 and won one to nothing, um, if I recall correctly. Man, um, Twitter existed back then. Keith Law wasn't around either. But Keith Law <laughs> was just like, like spontaneously. He was itching to be born to complain about that. Yeah, yes, he was like, right. like, yeah, he, he came he came out of the womb complaining about Steve Arlen's pitch count in that game. But uh, yeah, so anyway, that, I, I've, I've digressed and now I've lost track of where I go. Oh, Ty Floyd. <laughs> so anyway, Ty Floyd, good arm, been inconsistent. Um, uh, in his career at LSU, inconsistent in the spring, but like came up big when they needed most. One that well, he, well, I guess he got no decision because that game went 11 innings, but pitched great in, in the first game of the finals against Florida and, you know, pitched well in the postseason. And I think he's put himself, I think he's gone from, uh, you know, third round to now top of the second round. So I think in terms of actual spots moved, he has moved the most. And, and yes, I, I am confirming Steve Arlen, 20 Ks in a 15 inning, one nothing victory. The next year, Keith also would have been upset because he pitched in five of Ohio State's six games and twice beat top seeded Southern California. So he, he pitched a lot in Omaha. Yeah, I think the only other guy I'll mention, well, you mentioned Waldrip, and some of it is more like going back to regional super regional play but he had you know really good start against oral roberts wasn't you know wasn't as sharp against lsu to say the least walk six and two and thirds but he was a guy who you know the stuff has been very very good but struggled for a lot of the year with his command um pure stuff wise he's you know right up there and had a stretch of really three starts in particular in postseason play that uh, that wall pointed to like, wow, this guy, if he can do that, you know, uh, double digit strikeouts, limited the walks. He's a guy that sort of came to mind uh, when looking at this question. Then his teammate, Josh Rivera, who's already intriguing as like a a solid senior sign, uh, but this is the first year that he's really hit. Uh, He's managed to strike zone a lot better so he's gotten to some of his power. And as he showed over the course of the time in Omaha, he can play shortstop. And, you know, 
that isn't often the case with college guys. I don't even know if people were a hundred percent convinced. Um, but I think the combination of the advancements with the bat and how good he looked defensively, uh, you know, has his name moving up and as a senior, he could be one of those kind of priority senior signs where you take him early enough and you'll save some money, but you're getting a very, very good player. I, I'm going to say, Jonathan, I bet he goes in the second round. I, I totally believe it. I mean, I had him come up last week, not necessarily like, oh, he's going to go in the comp round, but the conversation was kind of about teams that have extra picks could take him in the comp or in the second round, save some money and still get a really, really good player and then allow them to maybe aggressively go after, you know, someone who's still around in the third, you know, high end high school guy, that sort of thing. Yeah. You guys gave him a, a health, healthy bump up uh, in the yeah. re-rank. He's a good player. Uh, from 111 to 87, 24 spots. So. All right. Thanks to DC Hendricks for that question. Thanks to Joe Whitman for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.